Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is the show where we get people from around the world to tell us how they saw the news from the past month. This is episode number 58. We're in August 2015. Hello everyone, welcome to the Phileas Club. In this show, we get people together from different parts of the world, like literally we have a world-spanning coffee table where we get together every month and uh, we discuss how people have looked at the news and what was important in their own country in the past month or so. Uh, and then we discuss it and how different people saw it and different cultures understood it. Hopefully, we have fun doing it. And uh, I hope we're going to have a good time today. I think we're going to have a good time. because uh, So I'll get to Turkey in just a little bit. Turkey, if you're okay with it, ladies first. Right. Go for it. All right. Uh, and I would like to introduce uh, Wendy from, uh, is it US? Is it Sweden? <laughs> It's a How little both. <laughs> Originally US, now Sweden. Right. So uh, some people might have heard your voice before. You, are, uh, you did a show with Scott Johnson called The Therapy Show which is uh, still available, by the way. You're, you're a therapist, so you're actually, as Scott says, you help real people with real problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not fake people with made-up problems, no. Right, which does yeah. happen on Scott's shows sometimes. It does, yes. He has to make that distinct, distinction. So, yes, uh, that is what I do. Right. Uh, and so, and you're, you're also on the, uh, the morning stream uh, every week. And so you live in Sweden. What's, I do. What is that like? <laughs> It, have you been here, by the way? Let me just ask that. No. So uh, as some people know, my wife is Finnish, but That's Swedish right. Finnish. And so I've been to Finland many times, uh, not okay. to Sweden, though, which uh, uh, looking at Sweden from Finland... It looks like some kind of uh, fake people wonderland, like uh, Disneyland for adults or something. Yeah, a little bit. And for kids. It is, it is the most kid-friendly place on the planet. I mean, there's a playground. You can't walk two feet before you hit another playground. I mean, it's very, very family kid-oriented. So it's a playground for everybody, and everyone is as beautiful as you think they are. Except there are a few ugly people. I mean, I've, I think I've met a few, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty stunning. Um, and Finland, I know a little bit about Finland. My husband lived there, and actually my Swedish teacher, funny enough, is uh, Finnish. So I know a little uh, about the culture of Finland, and it could not be more different from Sweden. It's like putting two very different people next to each other. <laughs> Um, so Sweden is, it is beautiful. I mean, Finland's beautiful. You know that it's just a hundred thousand lakes. It's forests everywhere, you know, playgrounds and forests and lakes. That's pretty much the whole country. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 
It's really so, great. So just very quickly, we'll get into the, the, the show proper, uh, but how was the experience of, had you, tra had you traveled ab abroad uh, before you started living in Sweden? Or yes. how was the experience of like landing in Sweden as an American? So I lived, I was a student in Israel and Palestine, and I traveled a little in the Middle East when I was a lot younger, and I lived in London for a while as well. So I had a, a pretty good sense of, um, you know, the, the transition that it sort of takes. And then also, uh, culturally, Europe just has always really appealed to me. So Sweden was sort of a throwing a dart at a map. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had just as a family really wanted to live overseas and um, we couldn't get visas. I don't know if you know this, but Europeans don't really need Americans to come over and work here. So that was a challenge. So we finally found uh, the one way we could get a visa, which was to be students. So my husband is actually attending a university here and uh, a student visa is pretty easy to get in case you're wondering. Um, it's, and, uh, yeah, it's the same for us uh, to go to the US. It's very difficult to get a visa. If you can be a student and have money to support yourself as you're a student, that yeah, you can manage, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very similar. Yes. And, and so, uh, he need, we need an English speaking program. He does speak Finnish, but I wasn't quite ready to fully be Finnish. It's too quiet <laughs> there. And my kids are very loud. So that was, that was a concern. No, and, yeah, Finnish uh, so people don't speak. That's one of their ever. defining characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. So tonight we're having a big, uh, it's called a Kraftskiva, which is a crayfish um, party like oh a big... you're having a crayfish party yeah and oh so my I'm, God. I'm, yeah that's I'm one of the best out... times i've had in finland isn't it fun i'm printing out the um all the snaps visa which are the the drinking songs and the joke <laughs> is so the drinking songs in sweden are long and boisterous and funny and yeah. everyone's drunk and sounds terrible and the finnish drinking song is like one word and then they drink <laughs> <laughs> they're very so, quiet yeah. but so they're having a crayfish party He's very jealous. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> um, yeah. Time. It's so for me. It's it's kind of a weird mix of all of this because my wife. For those who don't know, um, Finland is a bilingual country, and about five percent of the population is Swedish speaking. But a lot of their cultural heritage comes from Sweden, and there's obviously ninety five percent of the population that is Finnish speaking originally. But they have both languages officially used in the country, and there's a whole lot of issues that comes out come out from that um but yeah so my wife is sort of in that she's very Finnish, but i also with swedish influences so her oh. crayfish parties have lots of songs that are more than a couple of words so that's <laughs> so good. she's expanded well i asked a finn once to tell me the difference you know sort of what do you think of swedes and and what do swedes think of you and he said he was he's a funny guy he said When Finns think of Swedes, we just think of surfers, like dumb California type, blonde, curly hair, just sort of supermodels that are kind of stupid. I was like, oh, okay. And I said, well, what do Swedes think of Finns? And he said, they think we take a crap in the woods and wipe our butts with bears. <laughs> so that's, that's the yeah. main difference. That... Surfers and, you know, very yeah. tough woods woodsman people so my my wife uh, uh, puts it uh, a little bit differently a little bit less politically correctly um, <laughs> okay. I, i don't know if i should should i give let that? it go yeah uh, yeah all right all right 
I, I have the uh, uh, the authorization from Wendy, who's a therapist, so she knows stuff. That's right. Um, so basically, the non-PC way of describing them is uh, the Swedes are all gay and the Finns are all retarded cousins. Basically, <laughs> so you like them, but you're like, oh yeah, he's nice, and the yeah. you know because the Finns have uh, this is the, it's a very special uh, part of the Nordic countries. Uh, it's not Scandinavia actually historically, yeah, and they they have this super stern like woodsman, absolutely like they don't speak, they they're just super stern and they don't say anything, and they're almost like part Russian. Um, yeah. In that sense, and they like to drink, and yeah. So anyway, we we could do a whole episode on on. We really could. There's one story. thing. Uh, there's a word. Say this to your wife, Sisu. She knows what that means. Sisu. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. She's stumped. <laughs> She's stumped. It's the word that means like she, grit. It's like the grit? the the um. All oh, right. Okay. She basically. She, she understands. Yeah, she couldn't. She understood, but she couldn't explain it. It's yes. one of those foreign concepts. Because it's the word. I think an interesting show you could do is have people from all over the world use the one word that describes their country. Because yeah. Sweden is the word lagom, which means like moderation, sort of. Ah. But you can't really explain. You know how like there's a word you can't really explain, translate. It's that where yeah. everything. It's like enough is enough. There's not too much, not too little. It's just sort of. Lagom, it's, it's yeah. hard to explain. So, and then in, so, in, in Finnish, it would be Sisu, which is why 100,000 Finns could defeat a million Russians in a right. war. <laughs> <laughs> They're tough. There's, uh, I did an, uh, an Ask Me Anything on AMA on Reddit on a Daily Tech News show a, few, a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. someone asked me that very question, you know, what is the one word of, or concept in English that doesn't have a, an equivalent in France? Um, and I couldn't think of anything, but the the word there's a word in Japanese that came to me. Uh, well, a couple of words. I I can't remember which one I I did, but there's one word that is super weird in Japanese. That's uh, kitto, and kitto mm-hmm. is kind of maybe, and I'm absolutely certain at the same time. So you're wow. you're saying some you're telling someone just you know don't give up. It I'm sure it's going to happen, but at the same time it's just. There's a chance that it's going to happen, but it's weird. It's a weird mix mix of hopefulness and certainty at the same time. All um, right. So that's awesome. Yeah, it would it would be super interesting, but uh, that might be uh, the program for another show. Yes, uh, that's another day. <laughs> Turkey. What one word describes your country best, or what is the one word that your language has that doesn't have an equivalent in other places? Don't don't like being ignored. <laughs> hey, it's your chance. Like playing a game on the side or something? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. What yeah. No, there's only one word, desert. Right. <laughs> Makes sense. But you know, you're you're going to be coming to Paris, right? Unless that has changed again, but in no, a few no, weeks. No, 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 no. I'm I'm flying on the 11th of September. Believe it or not, 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> I, ha- I, ma- I, made, I made my reservations four months ago. I only realized I'm traveling on 9-11 a week ago. <laughs> you know, this is, it's, it's pretty amazing how September the 11th, you know, 2001 was already 14 years ago. It's one of those things, I think, it, it, it was a defining moment in, in all of our lives, I'm sure. But it for me, at least, I was sort of into my, my first few years as a fully formed and grown adult. Um, yeah. You know, I was in my 20s. And 
it was one of those things where I'm sure everyone has experienced this as at different times of their lives, but it was a different, it, it was a, a change in the world for me, just like the internet, just like, and the fact that these things are kind of now in the almost distant past is mind-boggling. It's, it, I'm sure it has something to do with, you know, the human psychology, but I can't process the fact that this is becoming part of history and isn't still, you know, isn't part of our, of my present history, I guess. Right. Okay. And kids it, that were born after yeah. it happened uh, are now learning about it in school, which makes yeah. it actual history, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. Did you know I was in the States when that happened? Were you? Uh, yes, oh, I, I didn't was realize you were studying, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. That must have Wait. been an, an interesting experience. <laughs> Where were you? Uh, I was in the Pittsburgh area. Okay. Wow. So how, how did it go? Can you tell us a, a few words about the... Well, know? my personal experience, it was great. I okay. was in a very supporting and good community. So, so I, I, I actually get surprised when... I still get surprised when people tell me about the experiences they had, the bad experiences, because I've never had any of the stuff that you hear in the news. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, you know, I, I'm sure I, I'm certainly don't want to suggest that these experiences are not weren't common. I'm sure, you know, we could feel it in everywhere that there was this. Well, we know backlash yeah, and backlash so on. And it, and it did but, happen because it happened yeah. to friends of mine, personal friends. Mm. So I know it happened. It's just uh, it's kind of uh, surreal for me because I didn't experience any of it, period. Mm. None of it. I actually was in a very supportive community to the point that I remember I would walk down the street uh, like a f two or three days later and people would notice me and they would approach me and they know, notice I'm an Arab and they would actually ask if I was okay, if I was harassed or anything. And oh, wow. Just out of the blue. Like, so, so my experience was a very good experience overall yeah. compared to friends that I know that were really badly harassed, uh, sing singled out. I know people that had the uh, FBI knocking on their door, questioning them just because they were from Saudi. Mm. Okay. It's, um, I think, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if the, well, how much of the media's exposure has been given to those stories rather than communities that were, that actually didn't lose their collective minds and you know right. that were more supportive and more it's it's kind of i don't want to stray too far into that you know not non-monthly topical conversation maybe there's I, another, I i but... i think that what the advantage i had i was in a small community and it was basically a college community so most of the people there were university mm. students and professors and so on so i think the type of people and the type of community helped where I am, where there are educated people who understand the difference between people and that you don't generalize everything on just yeah. because someone's from a culture or religion. So yeah. right. go Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're you're coming to France in a in a couple of weeks and you'll be here for my birthday, which makes me immensely happy. Um, yes, I am, but now I'm <laughs> Having second thoughts, thanks to your news article. <laughs> to <laughs> my, I'm right. getting, I'm I, getting think, on. I think you're going to be fine. But just before we get to that, um, what's your expectation? Have you ever been in Paris? I've been to Paris once. It was for a three-day trip. I went to the Louvre. 
I, I <laughs> saw got, the I Mona was, Lisa and left. Yes, uh, I saw it from afar. I said, I'm not standing in line. People were fighting over it. And I said, seriously, <laughs> it's a painting for God's sake. All right, I saw it. Let's move on. Right. So, so what's got, your expe- expectation this time? You're coming with your wife, right? No, no, no. Let me tell you what happened. Oh, okay, I, okay, okay. All right. I got out of the Louvre. That was on the first day I arrived. I arrived last night. I went in the morning to the Louvre. I went out of the Louvre. I got sick. I stayed in the hotel <laughs> for three days in pain and got from the hotel to the airport on the plane back. Oh. Uh, well, so, hopefully we'll manage to make this trip a little bit different. But Yeah, so, so my experience isn't that great about Paris. Well, this this time or, it will. Or, or, or as I like to tell people, people Paris. Yeah, of Paris. course. But you know, it's going to be the first time I get to meet you. I've, uh, yeah. you know, we've been. I think we can say friends for a few years now. Um, we started the show in what two thousand nine, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, around that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm super excited and uh, you'll be here for my birthday as well, which means obviously as a Saudi, you know, incredibly rich from petrol and, you know, from gas, you're going to be uh, buying me an incredible Christmas present like, you know, a, a pony or something. So. Well, why, what would you like? Would you like a, a BMW, a Bentley, a Mercedes? <laughs> I'll, I'll sure. send you a list. I'll send you sure, a list. Sure, sure. Just pick whatever you like. I can get you a private jet if you like. <laughs> that, that, would, that could be fun. Um, actually, a uh, 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 second house in Japan could be nice. So, mm-hmm. sure, sure. You know, just get on the first flight, go to Tokyo, <laughs> and just go out there and tell them there's a the house waiting for me from Turkey, <laughs> and they'll take you there. Just, just go for it. All right, good to know. Thanks. It's my friend Turkey who arranged it. Um, all right, let's get to the actual program of the show, uh, and I'm gonna go first with my story, which is I think so. <clears throat> It wasn't a, an incredibly active uh, news month, uh, but this one definitely was the the biggest story, I would think, and that was the story of the train, uh, the train attack, uh, the Thalys, which uh, came from Belgium, I believe, and was going to Paris, and there was a terrorist attack that was thwarted by a bunch of um, uh, passengers. Uh, basically, yes, what yes, happened? Yes, was... say, say, say who they are, so we yeah, know yeah, how, I will. how I will. much, how much the US media covered it, and I'm <laughs> sure it was headline news and their best well, story for the whole week. It was, it was in France as well. I mean, that was so basically. Ah, there France, was a... you're affected. That's different. I understand. Um, but so basically, there was a a, a guy uh, who went into the restroom and came out with a Kalashnikov and a handgun, and he was. By all accounts, you know, our all logic says that he was going to kill lots of people and he was it was a terrorist attack uh, for sure, even though once he was stopped, uh, thankfully, without any casualties, there was one man who was severely injured, but it seems his life is not in jeopardy um, and he was stopped and apparently he claimed that he had no idea what that, you know, terrorism would be a factor in this. He just found the weapons somewhere and we don't know what he was going to do with them so Uh, he said he was going to rob people right right so Mm. um but you know uh, so anyway the 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 biggest uh part of the news is that he was stopped and that he was stopped by uh two or uh, three uh american servicemen uh who were vacationing in france in europe and uh one english uh 
person who also uh, jumped on the on the guy and basically the uh, servicemen there was a lot of uh, discussion about how it happened and uh, the guys were just uh, uh, just realizing that this was an attack and they jumped on him without knowing it just happened that his weapon was jammed and he couldn't shoot but they jumped on him not knowing that that was going to happen there was a, he had a cardboard cutter that uh, he used to injure uh, some of the guys and um it was Uh, uh, an incredibly uh, heroic moment that was celebrated as such by, you know, uh, 99.9% of the media. Some of them were just, uh, I don't even want to mention it. It doesn't matter. But the, there was a huge uh, celebration of the heroism of these guys. And they were awarded the Legion of Honor uh, very quickly afterwards. That w That is the... Uh, Uh, highest reward you can get it's, it was created it was a it's a napoleonian uh, award that was created for military heroism and that was expanded to uh, service to the nation basically it can be awarded for different reasons but uh, mostly it's for um, uh, i mean in this case it was heroism and and obviously diverse, deservedly so there was I, I don't think there was any negativity around any of this. And some people might be surprised at how quick the country was to celebrate uh, these guys. They were, you know, obviously they're Americans and that, I don't know if it played a role in our psyche, but there was no uh, criticism in any form. And, It, it there could have been some because some people know that portions of the of, of the, the entire world but also in in uh in France are are there is some anti-americanism uh, that exists for sure it's not a, a major part of the population it, it you know it doesn't represent the majority of people's opinions but it certainly happens in the uh you know views that america and the us are very imperialistic and they try to impose their views on everyone and there is some uh counters to to that but it didn't play out at all in this story as i think it's it's completely fair that it didn't this was a a a, a a couple of you know three servicemen who showed incredible disregard for their own safety and and prevented a, a terrible massacre um there was a few discussions online about the reactions of other people in the train there were um discussions of people who basically rushed to the back of the train and a few um uh, employees of the train company that barricaded themselves in the safety in the uh, uh, service uh, room that was tiny and and they wouldn't get out and some people were saying ah oh, you know if i had been there you know this is a cowardly act and they they should have uh, uh, got out or they should have let other uh, people in which is ah uh, that's ridiculous yeah I, i i had a pretty strong reaction to that because yeah. First of all, what could they do? It was like they it's, opened and the thing not, and they... And it's and not they, only that. And you don't, you really don't know until you're in that position. Don't it, say I would yeah. have done something different. Exactly. You wouldn't know it until you are experiencing it firsthand. And that is what, what really irked me. Uh, some people were saying, not a lot, but some people were saying, well, I wouldn't have stayed uh, holed up in there. But you really don't know until you are in that position. It's It's... 
you know, paralyzing fear and, and you don't know what's going to come out of you and you don't know if you're going to be the person that is, obviously all of us would like to hope that we would behave uh, not even heroically, but in a non-cowardly manner, but it's impossible to know, you know, when, when fear takes hold of you and the people who say, I would have done this, I, it, you you probably wouldn't have. And the people who say, maybe who would think of themselves as having run to the back, maybe they would have uh, acted differently. It's so, yeah, anyway, that, that we, I got in a heated discussion over uh, <laughs> Twitter with people trying to tell them there is no way of knowing. So anyway, but the, the, by far the biggest uh, part of the story was celebrating the the heroism of those uh, of those guys who uh, intervened and and jumped on the terrorists. Oh. So, can, can I tell you what I think the psychology of that is? Of course, please go ahead. <laughs> well, I think I had a I had a friend who was a she's a firefighter, and she said, you know, she'd always say, "You're only as good as your training in moments of crisis," right? And so you have you kind of have two groups of people in the world and you know, this is pretty reductionist, but you know, they're sheepdogs. <laughs> let's, let's divide the world in two yeah, different in two. groups of people and there's put sheep everyone and there's sheepdog, right? And okay. the sheepdogs make sure everyone's safe and okay. And, you know, and, and those servicemen clearly had training and then they clearly have sort of sheepdog mentality, right? Which is, um, part of why they do what they do or have been trained to do. And then the rest of us are sheep on a train, just going to work. We're not thinking. And we, we haven't checked the exits and the entrances to the building. You, you, you can sort of ask somebody who's trained in any kind of rescue work or any kind of um, policing work, where do they sit in a restaurant? And they will tell you they're always facing the door, always. They will never have their back to a door. But I am a sheep. So everywhere I go, I, I'm back to the door. I don't even think about it because I'm not worried about someone coming in and attacking me. But they are always on guard for stuff like that. So in those moments, those who tend to be sheepdogs and have some training, they it's heroic. Yes. But I also think there's, you know, what would be heroic would be like a mother holding two children who tackled him. <laughs> yeah, that would have been heroic because it, I mean, it's heroic, but it would have been so outside of the norm of, of maybe her training um, or, you know, just some regular person, but it's within the range of, of what they do. And that's probably why you had some people barricading themselves because they're terrified. And you had some people, you know, trying to run another way. You have people doing lots of different things, but I, I don't think it's, there's no personality flaws going on here. It's just people's survival instincts. Yeah. And that's but about it. There was one um, non-military personnel person, uh, an Englishman, who jumped on the guy as well. Uh, a, a, an older person. He must have been 60 or so. Um, nice. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really... Uh, I, I like that cheap and cheap dog uh, analogy, especially it, with the fact that there's no... We are all sheep, right? It's not like, oh, you're a sheep, uh, a derogatory term. Right, right. It's really, there are very few people who would rise to that occasion and yeah. even fewer who didn't have specific training for that kind of thing, I would guess. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to judge and condemn and, you know, point the finger at those trained employees who aren't being paid to jump in front of a, a, a gun, right? They're being paid to check right. tickets. Yeah, It's right. not in their job. They're not, you know, 
uh, boat captains that are supposed to stay on the boat until everyone is out safely. It's not what they're doing. It's not anyway. And come on, come on, Patrick. If if you heard the news that and that this guy came in, he had a clash and cough, he started killing, and there were three military people on the pl on the train who sat do nothing, just hiding. Wouldn't you be disappointed just thinking about um, it? Yeah, I would be disappointed because, for sure. Yeah, I yeah, would. Because, I would. I wouldn't say they, would, they were you, cowardly, you know, cowardly. You would expect and, these people would have reacted differently because they're trained to react to such situations. Hmm. Unlike uh, uh, train conductors who all they do is just take tickets and I hardly think they can even <laughs> overcome any guy with a clashing yeah. cough. I, I don't shoot. think I would, I would, you know, uh, uh, accuse anyone of not jumping in front of a Kalashnikov ever. Uh, but certainly if I'm you not, have a I'm military... Not, I'm saying disappointed. I'm saying you would be yeah. disappointed. I'm not yeah. saying you would accuse them of anything, but you would feel disappointment. Mm. So it's not... And, and that's another thing. I'm not going to say anything. The, these guys were heroes, definitely. They saved a lot of people with their... What they did, the act they did. But it's a really sad day that this is considered to be a hero act because apparently nobody's going to react and this everybody's surprised someone actually reacted and tried to save people well then you're the going against what we've been saying that uh, oh. the the people you know everyone would you know no one is expected to react in these kinds of things you're you're kind of saying well no 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 no, no. no i'm saying i wouldn't be surprised if nobody reacted but come on and in, in a train full of people you would expect at least one person to react And at the end of the day, for something like this, and I, I'm just assuming if your life is threatened, someone is going to react. He said, oh, I'm going to die anyway. Let me at least try to do something about it. I guess so. But it, they're still, well, as you've been saying, they're still heroes. I think that's yeah, the I didn't, Yeah, yeah, definitely. They are heroes. I would never deny that. They did a heroic thing. They saved a lot of people. God knows what would have happened if they didn't jump this, yeah. this guy. Uh, it's, can we, yeah. Can we, Can I say something about the American element to this? Like, I, there's, there's a love-hate relationship with Americans everywhere, right? Like, I, my first thought was, there were Americans in France that didn't embarrass me. <laughs> 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 like, I'm really excited about that. Like, that sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> and it's because we're idiots when we travel, and we do think we know better about everything. I, I've had this sort of new theory sort of come to me as I realize how young America is, you know, like the house I'm living in right now is literally older than the constitution in America. <laughs> And, uh, it does shift something in you when you realize, you know, we're like the adolescents of the world. We just, we're louder, we're dangerous. <laughs> we're, we're just teenagers. Right. And, And we have challenges just like any other country. We just have really loud speakers. So we're just loud. And we have more guns and we have whatever we have that, that puts us in a position to be um, both loved and hated. And uh, so it's interesting that you have, and my, you know, as you tell the story, I'm thinking, oh, the three cowboys came because we have kind of a, a thing that's part of maybe culturally part of who we are. It's that wild west something or other. And this is why we have problems with guns. We can't seem to figure out how to, you know, sort of balance that. But it's, it's just an interesting You know, if these were three Swedes, for for example, who were trained and they, you know, is does the world react differently? Is there is this matter 
that they're American. I would love to hear your um, perspective because for me, I just think, oh, good, Americans in France that did something right <laughs> instead of act entitled and obnoxious. <laughs> I think I, I sort of tried to allude to it and I couldn't quite put it into words in, in the way I described the story. I think what I was really happy about was that the the fact that they were Americans did not change, I think, the way we we reacted. Um, okay. if, if, the, it, if they had been Swedes or, I don't know, Saudis or, you know, Japanese people or anyone, I think the reaction would have been pretty much the same. And that's a moment of, all right, that's good. We handle this well, right? For, for me, as a, as a French person who, it's kind of like you don't know what's going to happen when, when someone points a gun at you. You don't right. know what's going to happen when something happens that has anything to do with terrorism, and right. I think in this case, thankfully, it wasn't as traumatic as the Charlie Hebdo things in, you know, the beginning of the year. Uh, so feelings weren't as disturbed. But I think in this case, we handled it as as well as we should have. Um, I do have a theory about that, the way Americans act and are perceived around the world. Um, I think there is little question that the that, you know, for the Western world, America is by far the most influential cultural, um, well, influence uh, in the world. It's it's the empire in many ways, uh, right. culturally, military, uh, militarily, uh, technologically. And the thing is, America doesn't need, and Americans don't need to go outside of their bubble of their circle of, you know, of their cultural circle to get anything. Uh, a lot of the other countries, and that drives me nuts in France and in anywhere, and that's kind of why I do this show, um, when people don't take the perspective of outside of their environment and judge everything yeah. from their own, uh, you know, field of vision. And I think that is very you know, maybe even dangerous because you don't understand things as well as people who have, who understand that in the context of everything else. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, if, if you, if you've only lived in a place that has, you know, I don't know, desert for your entire life and you have never seen a, play, a forest, then you're not going to understand desert in the same way that someone who knows both. Right. So, and, and right. the other possibilities, the, the other things that could exist. Um, and in, in the case of the U.S., even for the language, you never get, you never hear, if you don't seek it out, you never need to hear another language or learn another language. Whereas everyone else has the American cultural influence that, right. in a sense, forces you to put things in in understand things relatively to that other thing. It forces another uh, point of reference you know, it's the language, it's the, 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 the habits, like everyone knows what New York looks like, everyone knows how uh, Los Angeles people live. It's, and that is just, it's not judging it, it's just a fact of the world the way it is right now. But in effect, Americans don't have that outside influence forced onto, onto them. And I'm not, again, I'm not using forced as a uh, negative thing forced onto them to force them to understand and look at their own country, their own culture in the light of having that different point of reference. So Absolutely. I think that was so. Yeah. I, I think if I could be president for a, like six weeks, I would just make one law and that would be that every 
kid before they graduate from high school has to travel outside of the United States for six mm. weeks at least. One summer, something, just how life-altering it is, because I agree, there is, a, there is a mindset that is, it is such a bubble and it's such a problem. And, and then, you know, that would, I mean, think of the impact that would have if every person in one generation just left for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like it would be magical. So no, I hear you. I, hear I you. think that could be, you know, the most thinking of, you know, how can we benefit the world the most in the easiest way? I think that might be the solution. Get everyone in every country to have to travel to a different country, hopefully far away for six yeah. weeks. And, you know, it's, it's very frustrating for me because I have those, you know, I, I'm sort of straddling the, the, the ocean. I have one foot in, in France, one foot in, uh, in the U S and I, I even, you know, I have several feet. I have one foot in the middle East because I was born in Lebanon. I have one foot in Japan where I lived for a while. I have one foot in Finland where, you know, I go often and my wife is from. So I, I constantly have to battle the people in those different countries, like to bring it back to, to politics. In France, I constantly have to tell people about the benefits of capitalism. And I have to tell them that not everything has to be approached in, a, in an incredibly socialist way, or maybe look at it in the way that the people in Scandinavia do it, in that, you know, it's widely established and known and accepted that Scandinavia has this highest standards of living in the whole world. The people are, are the happiest, they have the, the best systems, politically, economically, all of this. And still, when you tell people, just look at how they do it there, they don't want to understand it. And in the same way, in, when I talk to people in the U.S. Don't, don't they have a high suicide rate? Um, they, well, it's not perfect, I, I, but, you know, <laughs> it has to do with the uh, never-ending night of yeah, winter. Yeah, the dark and the cold, yeah. yeah. And um, probably not but, that much higher than most places. It might be slightly higher per capita, but it isn't that much higher. But you're right, it's dark and depressing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and, and so in the U.S., when I talked with Americans, I'm, I'm trying to explain to them, you know, not everything has, not everything socialist has to be, uh, to appear to you as, you know, the, the demons, <laughs> right. you know, with the horns and Satan. It's, right. there are some elements of things that could work and the government is not necessarily the, uh, great evil that you think it to be. There are some elements that could be learned from other societies. So I'm sort of defending America when I'm in France and defending France when I'm in America. It's very, very confusing. <laughs> right. Um, right. Wendy, you wanted yeah. to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I don't, I have, I'm having kind of an interesting opposite experience where, um, and S Swedes are very polite. Maybe their other national word would be to be polite. Um, <laughs> and so, They, they have rarely met an American like me because, you know, I'm almost 40 years old and I've lived a long life in America. I was born there. I know a lot about it. I know a lot about politics there. And um, I have a lot of criticisms of the way things are done and have ideas of how it should be better, like everyone should travel when they're 17. <laughs> um, I have even better ideas than that, but that's just one. And, uh, and so coming to Sweden, I am just amazed. Now, granted... I'm only seeing the good stuff and I'm probably only looking for good stuff um, because I'm comparing maybe the same things. So whether it's the education system or the way children 
experience life or, you know, sort of the the way that there is a, a social safety net for folks and how that impacts the way they live their lives. And, and plus the work ethic here is incredible. I mean, there's such, it's such an incredible, interesting place. So when I talk to Swedes, I am going on and on about the amazing country they have. And they are so confused by that <laughs> because they're expecting me because the only Americans they ever meet tend to get transferred here from with a big company, Volvo or someone moves them here or, um, you know, they're or they're traveling. They tend not to be people here saying, wow, America has some problems, but you guys really have this figured out. So they are and they love me immediately. Like, who are you? <laughs> And I think, wow, that's so sad that your only experience has been sort of the I'm right, everyone's wrong version of Americans, which I think sadly tends to be the ones that travel. I mean, uh, maybe. Is it really? Uh, may, I don't know. I don't know if that's it, if it, if it's I, just strange for them maybe. and they say stupid things. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I know I, a lot of know, great I've Americans. Met, but I, I've met. So to, to your first point that you only see the good things, I think from my experience, you only start really being a part of a country when you start seeing the bad stuff. Right. And, you know, that, that's been true for me, at least. But um, I've met a lot of Americans, and I have always been surprised at how open-minded and, uh, I would say, even realistic about their country uh, they are. There, there's this image of Americans that are, you know, that I kind of understand that you were saying earlier, you know, the teenager that's loud and that doesn't really care about anything else than, you know, oh, you ruined my life and slams the door to their room. And, right. But, but uh, most of the Americans I've met and interacted with uh, have been very different from that and have been very... Uh, yeah, but what, what circle do you meet these people? I guess so. I guess. But, you know, there, yeah. there are... There are those, you know, the, the maybe lower class people in, in every country. And certainly in France, you have when you actually meet the real France, uh, which is the, it's, the, it's the, the worst. Thing. The worst are the upper class, not the lower class. <laughs> well, I don't know. The about upper that. class. When you go it's to the middle class, issues, when you but... go to the middle class, you find these people understanding and who yeah. actually take and give. But when you go to the upper class or the lower class, these two types usually only take. <laughs> They and you know, do. that's, that's, I, I could get behind that idea. And I think that's uh, exemplified in Scandinavia and in uh, Japan for the longest time and still today, where they actually have a, a giant middle class. There is vid yeah. very little uh, upper class and lower classes in, in both those areas. And in France and even more in America, it's, it's not the case. There are as, you know, a, a very uh, vocal lower class and a very vocal uh, upper class. And uh, not to, you know, I'm not laying blame on anyone. Anyway, let's, let's get back to the train story. <laughs> um, <laughs> Turkey. So the train story, here's the yes. question. Should yeah. I be worried about being profiled when I get on that train? Uh, I'm are gonna you getting be on, on that very yes. specific train? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Because, oh. you know, and if you are, you just show them my, my card and uh, you'll say, <laughs> I'm a friend of Patrick's and they'll be, oh, oh okay, you're good. Okay, um, <laughs> was it was it reported on in Saudi Arabia or? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it, it was reported. But keep in mind, I recently I don't watch any TV. 
So I cannot tell you what the TV says. However, I still read the newspapers. Whew, thank God. You're, you know, you're, you're on the show for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, reported, uh, I think, the fact that it was three Americans also it's very highly emphasized yeah so uh, and generally it's uh, it was reported but since there were no casualties it was really except the, the day it happened it wasn't really a huge news story yeah. here makes sense yeah yeah and plus we have our own crisis at the moment which is on the top of the news story so mm. all right uh, but yeah so just to to understand the tone a little bit it was neutral like they were americans and they saved the day was it like i don't know is there any tone that could no, be no 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 it's just a normal story there was an uh, an attempted attack the three americans uh, jumped the guy and they saved a lot of people and so on and that the sub suspect is uh, apparently moroccan and so yeah. on Just, just very basic, very straightforward story. All right. Um, Wendy, what about Sweden slash America? Uh, yeah, well, it was, that's the thing with Sweden too. They, their love-hate relationship with America is also very strong. So there's a, anything that has America, especially bad stuff they love to talk about. But um, yeah, it was briefly mentioned, but, it, you know, kind of like any other story, it wasn't huge, but briefly and... Yay, move on. <laughs> yeah, understandable, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the love-hate relationship term, I think, is interesting as well, because it, I would describe it as accurate for France, and I think a lot of countries around the world. There is a lot of love, and I don't know if we can say a lot of hate, but certainly a, a, an amount of hate for the way America uh, is. I would say a lot of hate. There's a lot of love and a lot of hate in this country. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about the West, which is showing how reductive uh, my view of the world is. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of love and a lot of hate. But for the West, there, there is, you know, it's very easy to take all of this and understand that it, you, you can, you have to either love or hate America. And I think it's important to understand that both can be true at the same time. Right. And, um, you, know, you know, in the Middle East, America really lost a huge thing when the Soviet Union collapsed. Because you had a lot of love and hate here right now. But before, people would rather love the U.S. because they would really hate the communists. So, mm. so, you know, I've been, I've been watching, to go off on another tangent, um, yeah. I've been watching the TV show The Americans... And uh, if you've never seen it, you, you probably go rush and start watching it right now. Well, wait for the end of the show and after <laughs> go rush. And, um, it's a super interesting show about um, a, a couple of Russian spies. It's fiction, just to clarify. Uh, yeah. A couple of Russian spies uh, deep into the American uh you know, society, they live as Americans, they have children, and they are actually uh, spies. So, and it brings you back to that feeling that I'm, I'm guessing most of our, well, many in our audience will have known, which was the Cold War. I was born in 73, so I actually experienced, um, as an ad, you know, an adolescent who could understand it, the end of that era. And 
it's kind of, it, it's kind of a, a, a feeling of the, 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 the Eastern Bloc was a perfect catalyst for the American hate. That, yes. You know, for, for American pro, being pro-American and anti-Eastern uh, Bloc. And now that that, you know, justifying the, Ameri- the, our, the love for America. And now, exactly what you're saying, Turkey, now that yeah. the, the communism has I- I imploded, there isn't that one specific uh, entity to focus your justifiability at. And terrorism is so much more diffuse and so much even more complex, you know? It, it really is a lot more difficult to understand and to um, explain and to rationalize. It was so easy when we had communism to point our, you know, binary view of the world at. And, and because it was, it was kind of binary. You were either for or against one of those blocks. And anyway, I, I don't, maybe we need communism to make a comeback and maybe Putin is doing us a favor by being... <laughs> Putin's going to help. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think too, you have the, you have the, um, the element of team sports, right? If you, If you go to any town where there's rival team and ask, hey, which team do you support? Which football team do you support? And what do you think of people who support the other team? I mean, that level of hate can be found in any community on the planet when it comes to sports, right? Because there's something in our nature that sort of is, it's a tempting uh, dynamic to have that binary dynamic. So we know who we are. We know who they are. You should come to Saudi and see that with sports. People love football. It's disgusting. You mean with with football? Yeah. (laughs) We have, uh, there's two famous teams, people who hate each other. Yeah. Really, really hate each other to the point that it's really, really disgusting. To the point I actually hate football, thanks to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not a big fan either, honestly. Well, and if you take, if you take what it actually is, someone once posted a picture of like people screaming at a, a some sporting event and they had you know paint on themselves and their face and they just look like they're insane and they're screaming and and they were like you know what if this kind of energy was put towards doing good in the world and someone wrote back and said because of this there isn't more war and destruction <laughs> because there's a place <laughs> to put some of this angst and anger and you know it's sort of the, the dark side of our our well, you, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of true, but it also means this uh, these feelings would continue and they would evolve to the point that they actually result in war. So, right. so no, I don't know that because I, oh come on, you should see it here. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of hate. There, it's 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 really to the point. To the point. There's actually people who would not allow a guy to marry their daughter because he is with the other team, football team. Oh, that's okay. That's, but I'm sure, you know, I would argue that these societal issues are there, whether or not the, you know, football team is playing the other team. I, I, I would argue that this just manifests itself through that lens, but it's not like it would go away if suddenly people stopped playing football. And that's true. That's true. It won't, and especially in Latin Saudi, because we have a lot of uh, uh, racism and uh, separation. You have tribal, non-tribal. You have from yeah. this tribe, that tribe, the other tribe. Uh, this person is from this tribe. This person is from that tribe, whether he's good or not. This person is Sunni, is uh, Shia. It's, uh, there's so much 
separation and uh, discrimination between different levels here. It it doesn't really matter, but uh, mm. it's uh, when I'm saying the football is more of a stronger manifestation of that because it's a huge groups who gather in thousands sure. together and they show this. Uh, uh, manifestation of uh, racism but, yeah. and discrimination I, and separation. So would a Shiite and a Sunni cheer for the same team and sort of be brothers in that regard at all? Or not? Uh, no, no, never. Not in okay. Saudi. In Saudi, never. That would no. never happen. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> well, at least you provided us with the title of this show, I think, and that's going to be This and That Tribe. <laughs> that, that was perfect. Um, <laughs> all right um turkey tell us about what's been happening in your corner of the world well in my corner of the world the biggest news at the moment is the mars mars virus or coronavirus oh. whichever you want to call it uh if you don't know what the mars virus is it's a middle east respiratory Virus uh, condition is something like the bird flu, or so similar to that. Uh, it so kind started, of like SARS. Yeah, it is. It's basically an uh, outbreak of SARS in a, a different uh, version of SARS. Uh, right now, it started here. It came out in 2012. Uh, apparently, all the research shows that this actually was uh, t- humans got it from camels. Uh, it has a very high death rate. Uh, at the moment, I think it's about 50% people who get infected die. Hmm. Uh, it slowed down for, for and during the last year, and then there was a huge outbreak about a, a week or two ago in one of the local hospitals here in Saudi, and it's been all over the news. We had, at this moment, there's 57 confirmed cases in hospitals, nine confirmed cases uh, uh, secluded in their homes. Uh, we had about 40% death rate or 50% of death right now. So it's a huge deal. Uh, it's, it's affecting me personally hugely because uh, my wife works at the hospital where the outbreak happened. Oh, geez. Mm. Uh, we had a huge scare this weekend. Our weekend is Friday and Saturday. My wife got the flu. And we got worried that it was the coronavirus. Uh, apparently, since she is already recovering, apparently it's not. So thank God. Wow. Yeah. So it's a huge thing. And uh, it's been covered all over the news. And it's all concentrated at the moment here in Riyadh, in this specific one hospital, the National Guard Hospital. Uh, and it's not surprising that it's in the National Guard Hospital. I said the, the number one reason they believe humans have uh, gotten this virus from camels. National Guard Hospital has a lot of Bedouins in there, who okay. people who have interacted with camels on a regular basis. So that's one. Another problem that Saudi is really worried about, uh, the Hajj season is starting, the pilgrimage to Mecca, which means about 3 million people almost are going to be in the same place at the same time. Oof. And so they are worried that this virus might actually get to that location. Thankfully, right now it's only in Riyadh. And this, it seems it's getting under, uh, under control. The number of cases confirmed every day seems to be decreasing. So hopefully they'll have it under control before it spreads to, that, to the pilgrims. Mm. Wow. Oh, yeah. that's, that's chilling. Um, I, actually, I don't think we've heard about it uh, 
or you know really in in, sm in a small way in france yeah. um, well it, it, it was a huge deal about a month or two ago because it mm. also hit south korea yeah right. i heard about yeah. it in south so, korea mm. so and in south korea they were it was really bad because they didn't control it from day one so spread very widely and i think their death rate was about 25 percent of people infected died mm. However, they had the advantage. Most of the people who got inf uh, infected weren't already sick. And most of the death rates here is people who already have other conditions before they got the virus. Right. Okay. Um, so wow. I, I have a question which might be incredibly naive and silly. Um, are there any religious elements associated with the the news and the like are are some people making it into something religious interpreting it or and i'm sorry if this is stupid but uh, well uh i'm sure there are people but uh, nothing as loud enough that i would have heard okay i i guarantee you there are people who are giving a religious reason uh, it's kind of more difficult now. I, I remember when the outbreak was strong in Jeddah. There were people, because Jeddah for a lot of conservatives, Jeddah city for conservatives, considered an uh, a cesspool of corrupted people. Mm -hmm. It's more liberal than the other parts of the country. So some people would say that was God's punishment for being so corrupted. Uh, I haven't heard anything. And, uh, and those are a minority of people. So It's it's not loud. It's not strong. I'm sure someone said something about it right now in Riyadh, but nobody's really making mm. a big of a noise, enough of noise that it's a national uh, debate or news. Right. So it's not that in this, you know, uh, uh, officially uh, governmentally mandated religious uh, society. Oh, no, no, it doesn't no, mean no. that this is looked at through the lens of religion. And just trying to get a bearing on how... No, no, definitely, yeah. definitely. It's actually, it's being problematic uh, from the point of view that, uh, that a carrier is uh, has been seen as camels. And camels are very huge in Saudi cultures for Bedouins. And it's also, camels also have a religious uh, uh, image in, in religion, Islamic religion. They are seen as... Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to describe how this seems. Some people might see them as pure, as clean, as uh, religious. They re represent something very important in religion and for Bedouin culture. So, Which, and well, yeah, I, they couldn't survive without the camels, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's making it difficult trying to convince there are still people who are denying and say, no, there's no way the camels are, are uh. transferring this. And to the point that actually this is how stupid people are, that I've seen photos, I've seen videos online of people going directly to camels, kissing them and hugging them just to prove their point that this is not the cause of the right. virus. Mm. It's not a carrier. So, okay. And that's one of the reasons why it's easy to have an outbreak when you have people as stupid as this, when scientists tell them they are carriers and they say no. And they go and kiss these animals or they even drink their milk without even uh, heating it or pasteurizing it just directly from the camels. Right. Drinking their milk and eating meat and so on. Mm. Um, so very quick, quick follow up to that question. And the, again, the answer might be obvious, but the, the science in all of this is looked at very seriously in Saudi Arabia. It's not like 
you know, because of the because I think uh, sorry to bring it back to the U.S., but yeah. it's the only other country that I know of where the religious elements are as strong, or you know, some parts of the of the uh, population. And there are I've been watching a lot of John Oliver, you know, incredibly liberal <laughs> <laughs> element of American society. Um, and some of the things he's putting to light are are very disturbing. And I've actually maybe maybe this is a good place to bring it up. Um, I've watched a little bit of Cosmos, uh, that uh, scientific, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, series on science and how we explain the world, basically. And it's been a very interesting experience for me as a French person um, to see how much effort he puts into uh, trying to walk circles around the potential controversies of some of the things he would be saying. You know, like when he's talking about the age of the universe, he's being very careful in saying, you know, and that's why we can't really, uh, you know, we can't be thinking that the earth is 6,000 years old is doesn't make sense. And, you know, having to almost explain things, it's it's kind of explaining things as if his viewers were old children and when he talks about evolution, he's like, well, it doesn't mean that uh, that monkey is evolving in its lifetime. Ha ha ha. And you're like, well, who are you talking to? to? Are you are we do you think we're retarded or what's the issue? here? <laughs> you know, and and I understand because I know America that this is these are hotly debated topics in some uh, areas. And and for us, it, it seems like surreal that you would have to explain things to that extent now the the series is excellent and i love it but anyway so basically this is where i'm i'm coming from to ask this question about science in that case turkey in saudi arabia is it you know as it, the, the the do similar types of issues arise when these things are being discussed i guess uh, you kind of answered it but yes they do kind of arise but they're not in my point of view they're not as bad as the way it happens in the states really uh, uh yeah because i'm not exactly sure i think it's the religion itself i think islam is more accepting of science than uh, christianity at, at its core or at least what some christians believe so uh it because if you look at it a lot of uh, inventions inventions and science and uh, research was done in the islamic ages in the beginning so science has always been part of islam you would still have some of these idiots who come and say no this is against islam this is not exactly religious this goes against what the quran says or something like that then you have others who do it in a different way you have others who are also very religious but they want to make science adapt to religion so they would re-enter they if you find the science finds a new thing they would try to reinterpret it, the quran to make it sound like the, the quran hmm. the quran said it first and the science <laughs> only proved it right so so just like what people who use nostradamus uh, after the event happens oh look at that he actually said it would happen and they just reinterpretate whatever he says because it's vague enough to to make it sound like he said it. So you have these two people. And I think the ones who reinterpreted Islam or the Quran to adapt to science are a bigger percentage than the ones who say, no, this is what it says and the, the science is wrong. But the majority overall are in the middle who 
accept science in general and they don't really argue too much with it and it doesn't really uh, has a problem with their faith when it, they discuss it they separate so, the two they 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 try to separate it and uh, and there's not really that many things that are in the quran or in religion that science has proven wrong so it's not really that clear I, I, as far as I know, we don't have anything like, for example, the Earth is six thousand years. I've never heard that in our religion at all. I never, I've never heard anybody emphasize that. So when you say science, they don't argue much with it. Mm. Uh, something, for example, that we Islam would not agree with is the concept of evolution. That we would not agree with science. However, you have the middle people. Or religious, they would say, yes, evolution exists, but it never happened to humankind. Okay. Humans were created as humans. However, everything around us did evolve throughout history. Mm. Yeah. Uh, or they would say humans evolved in not as much as what science is saying. Humans were bigger, lived longer life, maybe had more hair, but they were still human beings as we see them today. Right. So their size changed, their uh, less stuff hair like that. for some of them. Less not not yeah. me so much. I'm quite yeah. hairy. But... <laughs> okay. Yeah, but definitely they would say, no, humans were not monkeys. They did not evolve into human monkeys, mm -hmm. evolved into humans, and so on. But they would have no problem with the concept of evolution for everything else. They would say, yeah, it's possible. It did happen. Mm -hmm. Creatures do evolve. There don't have to be necessarily what they were created from the day one. Right. Okay. So, so that's you, how you they have, reconcile yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have all of these different balances and uh, issues with people and religion. Mm. And uh, it depends on who you talk to. For example, I heard this idiot one day, a religious uh, guy or leader who sat, sat on and he was telling people, you know, the earth does not move around itself. And he proved it for us. Did you know that? <laughs> you mean doesn't had, revolve? No, uh, it doesn't revolve. The earth is still. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Yes. And you want Sorry. proof? Would you uh, like the proof? Sure, sure. Please, please enlighten yes. us, Turkey. Yes. If you, if, 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 if you put a plane in the sky and it doesn't move in the location, it should be in a different place by the time the Earth revolves around itself. <laughs> it shouldn't stay in the same location. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's leave it at that. And, and, of course, you have the people who say, no, the Earth isn't, isn't around. I'm a sphere. Oh, Proof. some people are saying it's flat? Yes, yes. Ah. If it was round, you wouldn't be able to walk straight. Ah, obviously. <laughs> Why did I not think of this? Ah, I have to write Neil yes. deGrasse Tyson. I have yeah. to let him know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so you have people like this. So it yeah. doesn't. I think but I think overall, we're more accepting of science in it's, general. It's interesting because everything you're describing, I think, would apply to a lot of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when he when yes, you were yes. describing the first bit, I thought, oh, that sounds like America. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure... However, it is. It however, is. Go ahead. No, no go no. ahead, Wendy. Oh, I was just going to add to that that I think one element you have in the Middle East that we don't have in the United States that makes it, uh, I'm going to say easier for you. Oh, is that right? I don't know. Easier for you is that there tends to be, I know there's factions and, um, but there's one, basically one dominant religion. And you can say that's true in the States that it's Christianity, but the variety of, of what people believe within Christianity is astounding as well as 
you know, other faiths. I think that's what what makes the United States amazing that we all haven't killed each other is how many tribes actually are all in one place. <laughs> and and but we're trying. I mean, we aren't we aren't handling it well. I'm going to say that. I mean, we're sorting. We're moving into neighborhoods where everyone votes the same. And, you know, we we segregate ourselves into those tribes a little bit. And I think it's problematic. But you definitely have um very vocal, loud folks in the Christian side of things saying anti-scientific things or famous people saying, don't vaccinate your kids and yeah. a bunch of idiots following. And it isn't at its core. It's just stupid people. And I think yeah. there's stupid people everywhere yeah. um, because there are plenty of very intelligent Christians who believe the symbolism of the Bible, that those six days don't don't mean exactly 6000 years <laughs> right and yeah, so yeah. but they're not the ones yelling in a megaphone typically yeah um, yeah for sure and I that's mean, the I hard think, thing i i think we we shouldn't even need to say that there are intelligent people uh you know but but it's true i think that it's it's always good to to remind ourselves and and you know be reassured a little bit and when you're mentioning the fact that there are so many tribes in in the US it it makes me think of that you know USA USA mentality of America screaming your your name in 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 <clears throat> glory right. which is is certainly annoying sometimes to to some of us and and in France is kind of even uh weird because we don't have that kind of patriotism but when it relates to what America is today, uh, and you know how it was created not so long ago, it's it it is a bunch of people that are so different that came together that really the the identity of the country is the country itself, right? right. If it, you define yourself because you have you know uh, English people and Dutch people and French people and and Africans and so you define yourself as American, whereas. I don't know that we need this as much to unify ourselves in France. There are, you know, other elements and certainly there's a lot of immigration in France as well, but the 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 yeah, you you get what I mean. So. Right. And Sweden's a perfect example of this. Go ask an average Swede when their national holiday is and they won't even get it right. They don't <laughs> even know. And it's because they've never been had to become free from anyone else. They've always been mm. the ones controlling other countries. And so, of course, Norway, they know because they used to be controlled by the Swedes. Yeah. And, and we know because we used to be controlled by the nobles. So right. we had so to you, cut a bunch of heads. So. Exactly. Like you, you, you create a historical identity. I think, mm. I mean, one thing I love about Sweden is how willing everyone is to pay taxes to create a lifestyle for the collective and create a safety net for the collective and that it matters to them that all children are educated and fed and I love this. I love this about Sweden. Um, but part of that comes from recognizing, okay, my tribe is this group of people. This is what we all do. This is what, you know, we all buy into. This is why the middle class is so strong here as well. And, and, and yet you go to the, the States and taxes for them, it's like, the worst thing in the world. And I think, okay, is that vampire goes, sucking your exactly. blood? <laughs> it goes right back to, you know, dumping the tea in the Boston Harbor. Like absolute. I mean, we have a history of why we hate taxes and don't trust government. And that has, 
it's still in the in our bloodstream. Um, whereas in Sweden, never been a thing, never will probably be a thing. Yeah, they have issues here or there, but for the most part, the collective memory, if you want to call it that, or historical stuff plays a role. So when you have these sort of loud megaphone, screaming, free speechy kinds of things coming from America, it sounds like that's everybody and it's really not, but we still really value that they can scream craziness. Sure. <laughs> megaphones. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Which is uh, good. I guess. Yeah. yeah, no, I think, you know, that we've had our run-ins with uh, freedom of speech in, in France and Europe, and, and yeah. it's not regarded as in the same way, and it, it makes me crazy sometimes as well. Uh, and I have to, you know, get my American hat back on and try to explain to people what freedom of speech actually is. And, you right. know, I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times, and uh, I, I was confronted with the idea that freedom of speech is not something that we value as much in, in France and Europe when we first discussed um, the, the fact that it is not okay to say, you know, it's illegal to uh, incite to, you know, to, to say some things if they have to do with racism and uh, anti-Semitism in France. You just, you can't say it. It's, it is, you will be condemned in a court of law, in a court of law, even if, mm it doesn't lead to any actual harm uh, being done. So that was an interesting recalibration of my view of the world that, you know, I, I, that was made possible only because I was looking at how it was handled in other countries and, you know, specifically the U.S. So anyway, um, all right, let's, let's round Just up the show. Sorry. You, were you saying something, Wendy? Oh, no. Uh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, well, but let's round up the show with uh, things that have been happening in Sweden and, you know, okay. what you've noted for us. What I've noted is uh, it's pretty much every news story every day <laughs> uh, forever. And that is um, all the refugees and asylum seekers coming to Sweden. That was my runner up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Sweden has. Uh, you know, second to Germany, we, we bring in the most, um, and per capita, we have the most. So there are no, only 9 million Swedes. And the, the, uh, estimate for this year was about 90,000 refugees would come. So that's a giant jump in population every year. They, they're now saying it's probably not going to be as high. Um, but for example, it was a 25% increase, um, in 2013, it just keeps jumping. So part of that is Sweden is very uh, generous with their asylum policy and what they do and how they help people. And so I attend um, Swedish for immigrants classes, and I'm only American that's probably ever been in that building. <laughs> I don't know why, but maybe they don't ever learn languages. That's probably it. Anyway, um, so I've had a lot of interaction with uh, some of these folks from Africa and Syria. And Syria is the, you know, of course, there's a huge influx from Syria in the last couple of years. Um, let's see, just, I think, a third of the cases this last year were Syrian. So it's quite high. Um, and so I've I've gotten sort of a firsthand look at what the news is saying, and I check with them, and that's been a really interesting experience. Um, and so that's always the story. There's a ton coming. What do we do? Uh, you know, how do we assimilate them on in certain ways and also still help them retain 
you know, what they need to, to, uh, to sort of acclimate. Or... Yeah. And, and I find that, um, and this speaking of the American thing, I mean, I, I recognize, um, the annoyance of our loud opinionated thing, but I also can't divorce myself from that upbringing. <laughs> and I realize how it can be an advantage and it's a disadvantage as well. But the advantage for me has been, um, I have all these folks telling me what they really think and what they really feel and what they're really going through as they've come. And, but they will not tell Swedes the same thing. And oh, really? I think they, they see me as I'm neutral, but they also see me as powerful because I'm American, even though I'm not powerful. Um, but that's kind of an association they've made. And so I've heard all these stories and I've then gone to people at in immigration and integration and the teachers at the school. And I've talked about, hey, there's all these needs I'm seeing. There's all this, you know, this is stuff they're, they're afraid to tell you. And what their, their response is, well, we haven't heard any of this. And I said, because they're scared of you. <laughs> mm. And of course, they're scared of them because, um, you know, you come from one of the most corrupt governments in the world to the least corrupt government in the world doesn't make you change your mentality very quickly. You don't trust that anyone in, in a power situation in this new country um, sort of has your back, even though in theory, they really do. They want, they want what's best from them. They're trying to do things the right way and make sure everyone's taken care of. But what's happening is sort of this conversation shutdown. And so these, these asylum seekers are having mental health issues. So of course that's my specialty. So I, you know, I see a nail and I have a hammer, you know how it is. And, and I'm hearing these terrifying stories of their escapes and these boat rides and seeing people die and drown and, you know, leaving loved ones back in Aleppo and other areas of Syria that are just being decimated. And, you know, they're traumatized. They're, I, I can literally see PTSD reactions in class when we listen to a news program to practice our Swedish and they, they talk about boat full of people drowning in the, the middle uh, or the mm. Mediterranean. And, you know, I, so I'm going to the teachers and saying, okay, there's something's got to be done. And what's interesting is I'm finding that there's just not a lot in place because this is still pretty new for Sweden and Sweden's mental health system isn't quite up for the task um, yet. And, and so I get to play this interesting little role in the middle. So when I listen to the news, it's, it feels very real, um, what the practical implications are for, you know, what's happening with these folks Uh, and kind of the biggest new addition to, to this is the influx of it's between 40 and a hundred kids a day get to Sweden without parents. So, um, a lot of them are Moroccan, actually, and uh, other African kids who've sort of wound their way up through Europe. They're under 18, but they're probably you know, young teenagers, 10, 15 or something, wandering their way through the streets of Europe until they can get to the borders of Sweden. Because for so long, Sweden has been the Holy Grail. This is where you go. They do all this. It's wonderful. And it really, I mean, Sweden is very generous. Um, and, and so all these kids are just coming without parents. So you're finding that each city is now being responsible to have find foster families to take in all of these kids. And, you know, in, in our, my little town where we live, they, they need to take 35 kids and they don't have any more placements, but there's more kids. And so it's really interesting how watching the, you know, the whole world knows that there's more refugees in the world now than I think after world war two, I mean, it's a large number and a lot of people are trying to figure out, 
What do we do to solve this? In fact, is it Jim Bezos, whoever, some billionaire American, his idea is buy an island, start another country. You know, people are like, what do we do? Let's think this mm. through And it, because of the crisis. But it's really interesting to be in class every day with these folks and find out their stories and what their families are doing and, and sort of getting news that is really on the ground, not not sort of filtered through any media, not filtered through. through um, it's really it's really been interesting. And I'm assuming you hear all about this in France and maybe you don't hear the Sweden element of it, but there's probably a lot of conversations going on. Yeah, there's I think there's definitely a lot of conversations in throughout Europe. This has been one of the main topics of, of discussions for a while. Um and and you know throughout the summer and even before and we've had just uh, a few days ago a, a terrible story of uh, I think fifty or so fifty some people who were left to die in a in a truck on the side yeah. of the of the highway I think it was in Germany and um, I think the the biggest effect that this has been having is sort of shifting the perception of those migrants and and the way they approach coming to another country like ours because for i would say you know ever since the european union's borders had become truly open there's been this influx of people who were you know coming because they thought they would get a better life here but maybe they could have they could have survived in their country right so it was this yeah. sort of resentment of uh those people coming here to take our money and you know that that slightly acceptably xenophobic mentality i would call it um obviously xenophobia is never acceptable but you you understand right um, right and and with these stories from the past few months it's been a lot of Oh, so actually, these guys are, you know, in such terrible situations that, first of all, they don't have a choice. It's not like they're coming because they're, you know, it's they have a PlayStation there and here they would have a PlayStation 4, right? It's not that kind of situation. Um, and realizing that for 99% of them, they're not... Uh, uh, happy to be making that trip and it's a, a dangerous hard and and you know horrendous thing that is happening in in uh, the middle east and europe and i guess the question that no one can answer as you've said is what do we do um yeah. and i don't see the kind of generosity in france that you're you're mentioning from sweden um there's you know there are camps but the camps become uh, the, the, you can't accept lots of the, the the way i guess you guys do it in sweden is you give you know uh, a visa and permits for for these people and they then it's their job to integrate and to become part of swedish society right yeah and what i'll just tell you a couple other elements that they do often they're first sent to a camp somewhere and then there's a period of time they're in that camp until they find them housing and then they find them housing and they put them in and they give them a, a stipend every month for living expenses and travel expenses to get to school. So they all start to go to Swedish classes. So the Swedish 
for immigration classes are all free and always have been. Um, and so that's this sort of next spot they go. Then they're learning the language and they're learning cultural new things and they're interacting with Swedes and lots of, they, they, they find, they call them practiques, non-paying jobs for them to just practice Swedish. So they have this really incredible system of like step by step by step. And what they're finding is, you know, they're running out of housing and I can speak to that. There's no housing in this whole country. So mm. what they do is they end up putting people in, you know, a home like pretty isolated in the countryside because they have the land and a, a building, but it's pretty isolating. And so you're, you're, you're looking at a lot of um, challenges with um, just mental health being in a dark place in the right. middle of the country when you're a 20 year old guy, <laughs> you know, it's a pretty, pretty challenging thing. But, you know, as far as basic hierarchy of needs, you know, they're being met and they're trying to do that. But what is the limit? And one of the things that's happening in Sweden is the, the uh, Sweden Democrats is a, a party that your average Swede, Swede might say is a, a little bit racist, and uh, they are gaining more power and more votes and more highly more favorable opinions because they're the only ones really willing to talk about what are our limits, mm. and maybe we got to stop letting everybody in. And you know, and like you said, the xenophobia, the racist thing c- c- comes in. It's two tribes. Like Sweden's like a really nice tribe, like, hey, come on in. And then they're like, oh, okay, this is getting hard. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't yeah. know how to have you at this party all the time. Which, yeah. you know, how do we handle this? And so politically, it's it's a tricky issue and you it, it's it's a dominant conversation here. Um, and I, I don't know what happens. And now all these children are coming without families and without. So you're going to have a, a foster care major overhaul. You're going to have all these kids, you know, that are have been raised on the streets, have been walking around on the streets. You know, you have a, a whole different dynamic that can get pretty iffy. So I feel like it's on the brink of something. Um, something has to shift at some point. I don't I don't know if they can continue with, with what they're doing. And, and maybe France, you feel the same way. Like there's a, there's a, something else needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, this situation is unprecedented. So it's, right. but we don't know what, you know, it's, we're at a loss kind of. And uh And it's just to to mention very quickly how Finland is dealing with this. It's very interesting because there's been a rise in, uh, you know, xenophobic uh, political parties. Well, just the one, really, as you were mentioning in uh, in Sweden yeah. and in in France as well. But the funny thing is, in in Finland, there are no immigrants, none. It's like the country that that welcomes the least amount of immigrants in yeah. the world. They, You have to walk for a really long time in the center of Helsinki to see a black person or yeah. an Arab. And, um, and it's funny because those sentiments of, of xenophobia still uh, bubble up somehow. And obviously the reason there is the economy and and the fact that Nokia which represented a huge amount of the uh you know the national the gdp uh has collapsed and and there are the the paper industry has collapsed and so the the economy is is not as good as it was and and it's not it's actually not great and so immediately well i i'm sure it's not everyone but the scapegoat is immigration But there's right. no there's no immigration. It's very it's a very strange petri dish of experimentation for that, uh, right. you know, sentiment. But 
which it, yeah. And I, I mean, you look at the history of the United States and immigration. Um, it's, and there's been studies about the economic impact of immigration and what a boon it is. Which is to always the positive, right? Always positive. But when you ask the average person, that according maybe, to Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Exactly. Because we just need a fence and keep everyone out. Because <laughs> what? Oh, he's so crazy. Can't we? Let's not talk about him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to talk about him. Be- See, I told you Turkey likes to push people's buttons. Oh, he's so crazy. So I've been watching a lot of John Oliver as well and just like half laughing so hard and half crying. Like I, it's so depressing on one hand and then on the other, he's so funny. But the Trump stuff is really this, um, I, you know, I think it's... <laughs> Total subject switch. But I think it's when people want to not hear a politician talk, that's what they're craving. So they're hearing a crazy person who is sexist and racist and awful. He says the worst things any human being should say. And who is apparently very popular with Republicans. But I know know why. It's because they feel like, ah, it's someone who's really just speaking instead of calculating everything and soundbiting everything and making it so, you know, that they feel like they're getting a real person. Well, he's a real crazy person. It's the anti-political correctness feeling that I I think we've all felt at some point or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what he'll do is he'll drive everyone to act crazy or you just wait. It's coming. (laughs) (laughs) If it hasn't already started. Yeah, it's tricky. But he, you know, so he may be speaking to immigration. So ultimately, it's a, a scarcity mentality, right? Which is Immigration means less and less of our resources go to my people or the people who have earned this money if, right. if they're taking the, the financial aspect. And it's going to go to those who don't deserve it. And the, the, the story of immigration in the United States is one of incredible, incredibly hardworking people who come and do incredible things. I mean, I think the American dream is only left for one group of people, and that's Immigrants who's, who are willing to work their tail off almost to death so that their kids have a better life. And they, and they do. And that second generation does really, really well. And it's like the third or fourth generation who's just been in America too long and takes everything for, for granted at that yeah. point becomes kind of like everybody else. But uh, And I look at this, the, the immigrants in Sweden. Sweden has a very strong work ethic. They expect – there's not a two or three days that go by in Swedish class where there is not some – small cultural lesson about working hours and how hard to work and everyone contributes. And they're a beehive up here. It is collective. Everyone contributes. So I think that's why Sweden in the end can be successful in absorbing because they are, they're not allowing anyone to sit around at a camp very long. They are, we're going to, they're basically the Borg from Star Trek and they assimilate everyone and become part of the collective, right? Which is a little creepy, I'll be honest. So yeah. some, I mean, some. Uh, yeah. There, there some are some research. aspects. There are some aspects of of Finland, uh, of Finnish culture and Swedish culture that I find uh, are very similar from Japanese culture, which yeah. I have a lot of issues with. It, but that's a topic for another show. So anyway, no, right. sorry, but it's saying. fun. <laughs> no, it's just well, you know the, the Japanese beehive. culture. Japanese culture is so much fun. We'll we'll have that conversation <laughs> when you're here. I, I think I can turn you around on that. It's again, you know, love hate relationship. But yeah, hey, I I look at it from the outside, so I'm enjoying it. I'm not yeah. living it. <laughs> well, and I always take everything down to like the individual or like a family dynamic. If you think of each of these countries as a family, it has its strengths and it has its dysfunctions. So if you ever want to see 
America in its true form, go to pick a random house on Thanksgiving Day <laughs> and go sit down and listen. And you will see the dysfunction. You'll see the weird things that they do to manage the crazy uncle who's always drunk or perverted. Or you'll see the the passive aggressive, da, da, da. You'll just watch all those dynamics. And that is a culture, right? And that culture then extends to a, a state or a country or you know, maybe a section of the country or of the world. And we kind of all do similar. It's interesting. And how that gets shuffled with immigration, I love. I think it's so valuable. But I also realize there's the practical stuff. Like you have to feed everybody and keep yeah. people safe. And <laughs> and radicalization comes when you're, you feel hopeless. And so that's also a concern of, you know, keeping people, getting people to assimilate, feel connected to their own culture at the same time they're stepping into another one. Um, so the Swedes have, have the a real challenge of not just assuming everyone will be happy when they're Swedish because the Swedish are happy or that the language <laughs> is the key to all life. It's that you need a grounding in your own culture first. Yeah, and, you know, that mm. comes from ethnic restaurants and that comes from community centers and some other things. So I'll work on yeah. that over here, guys. I'll let you All right. Know Thank you. Thanks for that, Wendy. <laughs> um, the, Turkey, any thoughts on immigration and that latest crisis? We've discussed it before, but... Uh... Uh, I don't think we have time for me to get my opinion. <laughs> to get on a rant, you can't compress yes. it in two minutes? No. no, no, there's no way in hell I can compress <laughs> it in two minutes. <laughs> All right. But but, yeah. but I do have good news. My wife's results are in. She's negative. No corona. Oh, oh yes. Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> so, Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah. Seriously. So that's good news. And we're still on for September 11. Ah, oh, oh, I'm so I happy. I can't believe I'm flying on 9-11. God help me. <laughs> It's okay. You're coming to France. You'll be fine. The problem is I'm Flying Air France, so I really don't know how reliable your French are. Well, I think I think you you might have a, a you know the service on the plane might not be great, but I think you'll be safely you know flying to to and landing in the country. We we do have you know pretty good track records on uh, on that. Um, front, so. To be honest, I'm only worried about one thing: your French striking and my flight being grounded. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that I agree could be a concern. That because I completely agree. Because that's apparently a hobby of yours. You know, if if uh, something like that prevents you from finally coming uh, to France and and us meeting, I think I'm gonna do engage in another uh, very popular French activity, which is rioting, and uh, I'll, I'll change something, and and you'll be able to make it. So. All right, that sounds great. <laughs> All right. I think that is going to be it for us. Uh, before we leave, could you please uh, tell us where we can find you on the internet? Uh, let's start with Turkey, because I know he has a Twitter account. Wendy, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. So you can follow me on Twitter. My ID is at Turkey Albella, T-U-R-K-I-A-L-B-A-L-L-A. And I try my best to post stuff on there, but I'm not posting as much as I used to because Twitter has been ruined Thanks to all the Saudis on it. Oh, how so? <laughs> uh, when when I meet you in France, I'll show you and I'll show right. you. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to it. But, uh, Wendy, what about yourself? Do you, do well, you tweet? I, in order to keep my eternal optimism, I sort of avoid all social media. The only thing I use is Instagram just to take pictures of beautiful Swedish things and funny Swedish things. And that's it. My name, 
W-E-N-D-I-D-U-N-F-O-R-D, Wendy Dunford on Instagram. And that's it. And if you are mean or rude or you have comments I don't like, forget you. That's I'm avoiding you. That's no trolls. That's the rule. So you basically you take the uh, approach of uh, rejecting the reality of the world and of trolls and you just live. Absolutely. I don't I don't read comment sections. (laughs) I am. I like to think human beings are good. And so I just avoid anything that proves otherwise. Uh, when the human beings are idiots, not good. Yeah, but you know, she lives in Finland, in, in Sweden, which uh, manages to masquerade that, that fact very efficiently. So. Absolutely. All right. and, and of course, I, as I was mentioning, you, are, uh, you, you did that one season of the therapy show with Scott, uh, Scott Johnson, yep. which can be found on the Frog Pants Network. And, uh, and there's uh, the morning stream in which you... Uh, coming yeah. from time to time as well. Yes, thanks. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I am also on facebook.com slash notpatrick. You can go follow me there. And you can find the show and the notes at frenchspin.com. You can uh, go there and comment. I will read the comment. Wendy will stay away from them, but I will go read the comment. And hopefully you will tell us uh, how you enjoyed the show and what silly things we said as well that you completely disagree uh, with in a civil manner i've had a Wait, few there's, conversations. there's people who disagree with me it well, not with you what? with with wendy and i not with you uh, all fine. right yeah, I was worried for a minute there. <laughs> uh, so that's at frenchspin.com. And we'll be back in a month with a new episode. Thank you so much to all of the patrons who support the show and make it happen. You can support the show at uh, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Um, this is actually a crowdfunded show. And uh, it's it's so rewarding to me that some people actually choose to give a little bit of their of what's in their wallet to to make the show happen so thank you so much i don't i don't express it enough uh but i really feel it at the bottom of my heart and uh i think you know without promising too much i think the show has not uh had enough of you know as much of the attention as it should. I, I really love the concept of the show. And I think since I started being a professional podcaster, um, I've been super busy with a lot of things. And the Phileas Club has sort of been on, on tracks. And I don't think I've been. You are such enough. a letdown, Patrick. Such I, letdown. Well, I've, the, you know, I, now I'm you getting into the rhythm me. of things. And I think I'm going to turn my gaze back onto the Phileas Club and try to make things happen. So. <laughs> Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't want to promise stuff and that not, not deliver. So, uh, anyway, we'll be back in a month. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you then. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.